I've been telling you for years about steel product. If you need power tools to help around the yard, to help when you go camping, to uh, help your lawn, to help prune trees, to help blow snow, to help blow leaves, you name it, Steel has got it. S-T-I-H-L. Go to SteelUSA.com and you will see a plethora of great tools. Often they are battery operated, which makes things so easy. That's the direction I always go. And you'll be amazed at how many different tools there are. Stuff you've never heard of. You go, I can use that. That will help me around my yard. And you got to go now because there are all kinds of sales going on for the holidays. Go to SteelUSA.com and pick out some presents for yourself or for maybe your neighbor or your cousin or your uncle or whomever. You're going to get a great deal on it right now, and it's going to be a great gift for yourself or for someone else. And as I said, uh, the prices right now are great. All kinds of deals going on. Go to SteelDealers.com to find the local dealer nearest you, more than 10,000 around the country. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, an epic showdown in Ann Arbor, a stunner in Auburn, the Broncos dominate in Denver, and in part two of their conversation, D-Mac and Drew talk Sean Payton, Coach Prime, press conference questions, and what the listeners really want. I take it upon myself to learn as much as I can about everything our listeners want to hear. And that's another important thing. It's not about me. It's about whoever's listening, or in your case on TV, watching. They are more important than you. And as soon as you think you're more important than them, you're probably toast. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. With pressure coming from the backside, down he goes. The ball is out, and Denver has it. P.J. Locke with the strip sack on fourth and long. How about those Broncos? I mean, come on, man. No one... No one had them winning five in a row. They're six and five. P.J. Locke with the strip sack. P.J. Locke playing for Kareem Jackson, who, as you know, was suspended again. And the Broncos, the team that gave up 70 points. We'll keep using that as a marker. Everybody else will uh, also in week three. They are now producing like three, four turnovers every week. And that is the most important element of football. If you take the football away from the other team and don't give it back as many times as you take it away, you put yourself in a great position to win, whether it is high school, whether it is college or the National Football League. And that in large measure is why the Broncos are winning. And they're not turning it over offensively, as I just mentioned. Russell Wilson is managing the game. He's making enough plays. Um, and they ran the ball really well against a defense that uh, has been vaunted throughout the year, the Cleveland Brown defense. They ran for more than 160 yards. And again, they come away uh, with three takeaways. And that has been the continuing trend the last few weeks. Now they're 6-5. and five. It's, it's really uh, remarkable. Six and five. Oh, by the way, an official welcome into uh, show number 230 as we roll on here into December. We'll have DMAC coming up, part two of my interview with him uh, in a little bit. Quick shout out to Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez from Fox Sports for that uh, sound that you just heard. And now you look forward and you say, can the Broncos be a playoff team? Well, why the hell not? Here's what they have left. They have three in a row on the road. They have a Texans team that has been... 
uh, a pleasant surprise being led by the undoubted rookie of the year in the National Football League offensively, C.J. Stroud. Houston's coming off a loss. Again, that game on the road, three in a row on the road. Then you go to a disappointing uh, Charger team in Los Angeles. And then you go to Detroit, Ford Field, to take on the Lions. None of those will be easy. Uh, and, and who knows? I'm not into the prediction business. Uh, but the Broncos have set themselves up to make a run at this thing. And then you have a home game against the Patriots. I'm, I'm going to predict that's a win because the Patriots are god-awful. You know I'm a, a, a Giant fan from growing up there. The Giants beat the Patriots last week 10-7 to in a game. I didn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. Actually, I was doing the buffs uh, at the same time, so that worked out uh, well in basketball. But, um, you know, 10-7, both of those teams are, are just horrendous. Uh, but the Patriots come here. That'll be a win. Now, the Chargers come here also. And, and, again, they have talent, but they've been so disappointing. And then the last game of the year is in Vegas against the Raiders. And who the hell knows on that? They're playing hard for Antonio Pierce, their interim coach. Who knows? But the Broncos uh, went from an abysmal season to a very intriguing season uh, after the last five weeks. So uh, so good for them. And uh, as I said it last week, you know, I've been critical from afar uh, at times of Sean Payton uh, and his penchant for being the smartest guy in the room and how he's handled some press conferences, hand, how he's handled uh, his brethren in the business going back to the summer. Uh, the the well-chronicled and now uh, talked about ad nauseum uh, situation where he uh, criticized uh, his predecessor. Uh, but you got to give him credit. Uh, they're, they're playing winning football right now. They're finding ways to win. They end up winning comfortably uh, on Sunday against a Browns team that, uh, you know, after the, uh, the, the knockout of the number two quarterback, they were playing a number three quarterback. So, you know, things are falling the Broncos' way, but give them credit. The defense is vastly improved. They are taking the ball away, as we discussed. And they're controlling the ball on the ground and, and Russell with his feet and, and with his arms, making enough plays uh, to beat teams right now. And that's how you win five in a row. And it's a tough league. We know that. It's really difficult to win. So credit to the Broncos. And, and now they're worth watching in December. They're going to interrupt whatever plans you thought you were going to be making on Sunday because you didn't need to watch them. Now you do. Now you do. So that's good for all of us. On to college football. What a friggin' weekend in college football. And before I go too far down the road um, in college football, I have to ask you this question. Have you noticed this? There are so many players in college that have their mouthpiece attached to their face mask and don't wear it. And especially when it comes to the DBs and the wideouts not wearing it, it's they're, they're running up and down the field, right? And it's like flying. I would think it would be the biggest distraction in the world. I go back to the last time I wore a helmet 40 years ago. And if my mouthpiece wasn't in my mouth, first of all, back then it would have been a penalty. Um, and, and I would think that would be so distracting. And I, I keep seeing it in every game I watch. These guys aren't wearing their, their mouthpiece. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. Okay, that was an aside. Moving on to the college football weekend, which I thought was epic. I'll begin with uh, the morning game at the big house, Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State and Michigan. 
It doesn't get any bigger than that, 110,000 people. Game didn't disappoint. Michigan was better in the end. Ohio State had a chance to get a stop. They have a terrific defense, and they could not get a stop until really, really late. And by that time, they were forced to, because of a field goal by Michigan, they had to score a touchdown. You know what happened. I thought the quarterback play uh, on Michigan's side was a little bit better than what Ohio State presented, and that's been an issue all year. Um, You have two great football teams. But now Ohio State has lost three in a row to Michigan. And it takes us to the two coaches. (laughs) And Jim Harbaugh has only coached, you know, game day like half the games. He's been suspended for, what has he been suspended for like five of them, six of them? I can't even keep track anymore. And he will be able to coach him uh, in their Big Ten championship game against Iowa. And then if they make the college football playoff, um, which you got to like their chance of making college football playoff, they're going to beat Iowa. Iowa couldn't score. Iowa couldn't score if the other team left the field for 20 minutes. They are 10-2. and two. They haven't really beaten anybody. And, and every week they play 13-10 games. Michigan's going to beat their ass, though. Um, Jim Harbaugh, everybody assumes because... Uh, he's he's tired of defending himself um, for what some people are certainly uh, those that would defend him would say are kind of ticky-tack infractions, and everybody has him going to the NFL. I don't think so, and I don't know anything. It's not like Jim Harbaugh is one of my buddies. I have no idea. But from afar, I'm like, this will pass. He was looking up at Ohio State for the first part of his tenure in Ann Arbor. And now all of a sudden, he's flipped the script. He's won three straight against Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. He's got it going up there. And they're a national championship contender year in and year out. Why is he going to the NFL? Well compensated. Why? You get to pick your players in college. I say this all the time. And I know recruiting can be a pain in the ass. Now you got the NIL stuff. But you pick your players. The jobs that open in the National Football League, like the Panther job just opened up, right? In all likelihood, the Charger job's probably going to open up. The jobs that open up, the Raider job is open, depending on what they do with Antonio Pierce, who's the interim coach. and seems to be really well-liked. Last time the Raiders had an interim coach, things went well. Um, he was a special teams coach. He was well-liked, and they decided to uh, to hire somebody else, and that didn't uh, pan out too well, right? Uh, but going back to the college versus the NFL. NFL, the job you're going to get is a bad job. You don't have the players yet. College, if you're in Michigan, you're going to win 10 games every year. And when things go really right, you're going to have a chance to win a national championship. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. And I don't know squat about it. I don't have any inside knowledge. I just know what my eyes tell me. And even despite being suspended for uh, a bunch of games this year, if I'm him, I'm staying at my alma mater. And on the other side, Buckeyes are hurting right now. Buckeye Nation hurting right now. And I pull for Ohio State. Uh, Tony Alford's a friend. He's the associate head coach, and he's the running back coach there for years. Former Colorado State standout, heck of a football coach, heck of a recruiter. Um, 
got buddies that went to Ohio State. So I, 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 I tend to pull for Ohio State. And I understand that, that you know, they're, they're like Alabama. They're now like Michigan. They're like Georgia, that if they're not playing the college football playoff, then it's a bad year. They're playing, they're, they're trying to win a national title year in and year out. And now all of a sudden, after winning his first game against Michigan, Ryan Day has lost three in a row. And some people, naturally, because that's the world we live in, calling for his head. Come on, man. Or in the words of <laughs> Coach Corso, not so fast, my friend. Not so fast, my friends. Ryan Day's a really good football coach. And and the the margin between winning and losing last year was was big against Michigan, but this year was slight. And I think the quarterback was better, JJ McCarthy for for Michigan. But be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. I wouldn't run off Ryan Day. That's my thought on uh, that game. Um, and as good as that game was, later on in the day, the Iron Bowl happened. And I'm telling you, when they go to Jordan-Hare Stadium, the craziest of crazy occurs. Here we go. Fourth and goal. Might only be a two-man rush this time. That's all it is. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking, firing, near corner, it's caught! Touchdown, Alabama! Isaiah Bond! On a fourth and a mile! We always keep thinking we've seen it all, and we never have, have we? I didn't have words for that. Jalen Milrow, it's fourth down and goal to 31. They have to score a touchdown. You know the deal. I mean... And that ball in the air was minimum of 46 yards based on where he threw it from. It's now on an angle. It's the back corner of the end zone. So that's 10 more yards. And, and then angle. That ball was a dart of at least 50 yards in the air. And yeah, there may have been a little push off by Isaiah Bond. But that was incredible. There were eight DBs in the end zone, and Alabama scores. You go back, you had the kick six at Jordan-Hare a few years back. There's always something in that matchup between Alabama and what had been a decidedly mediocre team throughout the year, the Auburn Tigers. But what a finish. I mean, how crushing, though, for Auburn, man. How crushing for Auburn. That's unbelievable. What, what, a great, what a great weekend, man. With those matchups. And so now going into the conference championship weekend, if you ask me who are the who should play in the college football playoff, not where the rankings are right now, but just what what my eyeballs have told me in watching college football throughout the year, who do I think are the are the four best teams? Georgia, clearly, but they, they're playing Alabama. Something tells me that that game is going to be super tight and that the loser of that game may get eliminated from the playoff, 
But if you're asking me, do I think both of those teams are, are among the four best teams in college football? I would tell you unequivocally, yes. Alabama has recovered from their loss to Texas. Texas is really good. I don't think they're one of the four best. I've seen Texas in person, and I've seen them quite a bit on on television. I think they're on the fringes of being the four best in the nation, but I don't think we're one of the four best. I think regardless of the outcome of Alabama and Georgia, I think those two schools right now, Washington is in the mix. I think Oregon beats them in round two in the conference championship. I have Oregon in there. I think they run better defensively. Bo Nix probably wins the Heisman. And I have Michigan. Those are your four best teams for me in college football. I don't know if all four will play in it. Florida State, you know, is in a great position. They lost their quarterback. It's unfair to kind of dismiss them from the group. It's unfair to the the other 90, 100 guys on the roster. But I think, you know, they're they're diminished because of the loss of their quarterback. I think the four best are are in no particular order, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Oregon. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. Let's go local in college football. University of Colorado finished their season. They, uh, without Shador, Sanders were game against the University of Utah over at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake. Hung in there, had a couple of touchdowns, coulda, woulda, shoulda, called back, but they lost. And uh, they finished at 4-8. And so you say, were they improved? Well, from an attention standpoint, they went from nobody could care less about the University of Colorado to everyone knows every move they make, especially the first part of the season when they uh, were the talk of the sports world, when they were 3-0. They won one Pac-12 football game a year ago. They only won one Pac-12 game this year. Were they more competitive in virtually all their games, save a couple? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have better players, it seems like, than they did a year ago. But they still have a ways to go. And again, at the end of the day, they won three more games. And there were so many games that they were in that they didn't win. And you say, well, why didn't that happen? And, you know, Deion Sanders made in-season coaching changes. And as of this taping, Tim Brewster, not a shock, resigned. And he was the biggest fan of Deion Sanders. He had coached with him for a year at Jackson State as well. Sean Lewis, at some point, he's going to leave. I mean, he was demoted from the offensive coordinator position. I know there's some guys that have decommitted. I think they'll continue to recruit well. I don't want to be redundant from last week. I said next year is huge, and it's going to be huge from a one-loss standpoint. Uh, They have to jump to at least eight wins next year from four to at least eight, in my mind. Because if you want to keep this this bandwagon of great attention rolling downhill, you have to have success in terms of wins and losses. Because right now, they're a four and eight football team. And you can talk all you want about, you know, Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter. At the end of the day, and, and, and naturally it begins with, with Coach Prime, they won four times. They are improved. There's no denying that. But based on how it started, based on all of the rhetoric, it feels a little disappointing, especially losing, you know, what, what was it, eight of, eight of your last nine? It just it doesn't feel great. 
and we're going to hear about some big-time recruits that are coming in, and he's going to be in the transfer portal. And I talked about the portal last week. There were reasons guys are in the portal. Not all of them are great reasons. Some are. Some guys hunting for more money in the NIL, in NIL deals. But it's going to come down to winning football games, winning more than you lose next year, a couple more than you lose. Eight's my number next year. Up in Fort Collins, they finished five and seven a year ago. They went uh, three and nine. So you say, well, they, they improved. They won two more games. Maybe the best game they played was the near miss against Colorado. A woulda, shoulda, coulda from the Rams' perspective. They were the better team throughout that game. They outgained Colorado, but they didn't win. And that was the bottom line. You know, we were talking about Colorado. They didn't win games that they had opportunities to. Colorado State, the same thing. UNLV, chance to win there, did not. They were up 17-0 in Logan, Utah against Utah State. Ultimately lost that game. And last weekend, they're in Hawaii. We told you, never an easy place to play. At the time, a four-win Hawaii team that had given up uh, a ton of yards in terms of rushing the football. There were a lot of things they did not do well. That's why they were a 4-7 and seven team coming in. In Colorado State, after an impressive opening drive to take a 7-0 lead, found a way to fall behind by... You know, 14 points. They they had a miraculous fourth down uh, pass from Nicolosi uh, to Torrey Horton for 70 yards to tie up the football game after the two-point conversion. And then in 51 seconds with no timeouts, you know, that's where you want to bow up defensively and get the thing to overtime. They couldn't stop Hawaii, and Hawaii kicks a walk-off 51-yard field goal. So was Colorado State better? Yeah, marginally so. They won five times instead of three times. But I, I look and they say, you got an NFL wideout. You have an NFL caliber tight end in Holker. Uh, Kamara, defensive end, NFL caliber player, one of the leaders in, in sacks in the nation. You had two really good safety seniors. And I keep hearing about, you know, the talent and, you know, we have to learn to win, which I that's such a, a cliche in sports. They didn't get it done with pretty good talent. I know their quarterback's young. He's a gunslinger, and he could look great one play and throw it to the other team in an inexplicable fashion um, on another play. But it, it it's the same thing I'd say for the University of Colorado. Just the way it finished, it didn't feel good. I mean, they really had a great chance to get to 6-6 six and six in the bowl game, and that would that'd feel a whole lot better if you're a Ram fan than, than losing at Hawaii and some of the losses they had. And they, they still have not been competitive in rivalry games against, uh, they were against Colorado, obviously, but against Air Force and Wyoming, they haven't beaten them. The one team that they finally beat was Boise State, and that was a fluke. I mean, let's be honest, it was a Hail Mary. It's a hail mary, and 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 they and they win, so good good for them. Uh, but I I would say the improvement from afar was just marginal for Colorado State. So we'll see uh, we'll see what happens next fall. But the feeling with both of those programs, a lot of promise, but you kind of have that icky feeling now uh, going into the off season, and and you can make big jumps. You really can't. Northwestern was 1-11 last year. 
Pat Fitzgerald, who's a legendary figure there, uh, they had to force him out, or they felt like they did. They went 7-5 and five this year. They're going to a bowl game. That's a six-game improvement. South Florida went from 1-11 to 6-6. Six and six. UNLV in the Mountain West, 5-7 and seven last year. They're 9-3, and three, and they're playing Boise State in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. So you can make big strides. Were, were small strides made with Colorado and Colorado State? Absolutely. And, and again, going back to Colorado for a moment where people go, well, look, they were 1-11 last year. The guys that, that played on that Colorado football team last year aren't in Boulder anymore. We were told throughout the offseason, I'm bringing in Louie, I'm bringing in new players. And he did. What was it, 85 new players? Some crazy number. Only 10 were left from, from a year ago, and, and most of those guys weren't even scholarship players. So it was all new guys. And those new guys produced a better record. They went 4-8. and eight. I'll leave you uh, this section with, with the words of Bill Parcells. It's one of my favorite lines. It doesn't matter what the sport is. You can play woulda, coulda, shoulda all you want. You are what the record says you are. And in the case of the Buffs, they went 4-8. and eight. And I'm excited about their future with my fingers crossed. And I'll say the same thing. I'm excited about the future with Jay Norvell and Colorado State. But they went 5-7. and seven. And that's who you were with those with those respective programs. One other note, you know, we talk about the state of college football, which got a lot more attention in our state, and it began with Colorado. And after eight, nine weeks of the college football season, you had to look down south to Colorado Springs. And at the time, Air Force was 8-0. I don't know what happened there. I went and saw them play Army. They turned it over six times. They got they got beat by Army. And then they, then they lost three more in a row. They're 8-4. Uh, we may be better as a state right now in college basketball. It's a Monday late afternoon as we uh, tape the podcast this week. Wednesday in Fort Collins, an enormous basketball game. The 20th-ranked Colorado State Rams, who blew out number 7 Creighton last week by 21 in Kansas City, they're now in the nation's top 25, led by one of the best guards in college basketball, Isaiah Stevens. And they'll be taking on a Buffs team that was ranked la- the last couple of weeks. They fell out of the top 25, if, if you, you know, extrapolate by votes a little Further out than 25, they're they're 28th in the AP voting this past week. Uh, Tad Boyle's team lost in overtime to Florida State. That's their only blemish. That's going to be one hell of a basketball game Wednesday. So you have both of those schools um, doing really, really well in basketball. So maybe we're better off right now in hoops uh, than we are in football. But... uh, that's kind of my summation of the weekend in college football. I want to get back to uh, part two of my conversation with uh, DMAC as he transitions to uh, Altitude Radio. We've been talking shop. We did in, in week one. We're going to get into football. We're going to get into um, press conference questions this week in part two, again, of my conversation with DMAC. Enjoy. Hey, uh, Sean Payton. Yeah. From afar, I don't. You're there. You you've always been there. I I haven't covered the Broncos in years. Probably back to when I was doing their post game radio. 
after the great Sandy Clough, uh, the cluster would uh, would call people out. But anyhow, Sean Payton from afar, and I've you know gotten after him a little bit um, on this podcast in that no one likes DMAC, the smartest guy in the room. Mm. It, 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 am I seeing him not properly? You're there. I hear you ask questions. I heard you last night ask him a question when I was watching, uh, you know, his presser. Um, how, do, how do you uh, describe Sean Payton? He's certainly in a better place with Broncos country right now, now that they're five and five. I think he has extreme attention, attention to detail, which is good. I think he's a natural-born leader. He's got that sort of characteristic. I think he knows football. A lot. I think he's really good. So he knows football. He's attention to detail, um, and he's he's solid in all those departments. Where he teeters, and you're you're like, okay, what's really going on here? Is he's got a narcissistic personality. But I I hesitate on on saying that's a, a harsh criticism because almost every single great athlete or coach I know has that same sort of tendency. Almost all of them. Where, where they think they're right because they need to have you follow their direction. And I don't think it's necessarily a negative, although it can be interpreted as a negative if you can't close that gap and communicate your thoughts and feelings with others. If you're just sitting there and you are the smartest person in the room, then if you can't get everybody on board with you, all you're doing is intimidating the people underneath you. That's it. That's all you're doing. And you're not going to get a good collective effort. So I think he walks that line. I think that was a problem in the beginning of the season because he didn't know a lot of these coaches. Like VJ, he didn't know. He didn't know Vance Joseph Drew at all when he hired him. And I think there was a disconnect. And I do think there were conversations after that Miami game of moving on from VJ. I'm glad they did it. I think they're spending time getting to know each other. So I I think Sean Payton Drew is like a seesaw. I do. I think sometimes it's great, and I think other times it's, you know, a little self-indulgent. I think that's who he is. If you watch him closely, like you watch him at a Nuggets game or an Avs game, and I bet you anything it would be the same at a Rockies game, he is explaining everything that's going on to whoever's sitting next to him. He can't stop himself from doing that. So is that good or is that bad? Drew, I think it's a little bit of both, and – and I'd rather have, but I would rather have somebody in charge, Drew, that has a philosophical belief in what it would take to succeed and wants to get that out there rather than somebody who's just blowing around in the wind and can't figure things out or doesn't have a direction and is just hanging on for dear life. If Sean Payton's going to go down, he's going to go down his way. And I do think that's a characteristic that's shared. Um, and I don't know Bud Black as well as you do. But I think that characteristic is shared by Jared Bednar and Michael Malone as well. Yeah, I, I was asked uh, a question. I, I was doing a speaking gig in, in Arlington uh, a few weeks ago. And I was asked, what is the common trait mm. of elite athletes? And I'll throw coaches in there. And I don't mean this as a, as a damnation of, of that group of elite elite. I'm not just talking about the people that, that, that populate NBA rosters or NHL rosters or or our coaches, but the ones that are that are truly a cut above. There is a selfishness 
to them that has to exist, whether it, it comes from, hey, this is how I start my day. This is how I eat. I'm sorry, honey. This is uh, right now. You have to go get the kids because I'm working out and I right. own, and, right. and I do this at 645 to 845. And there is a tunnel vision, um, I, you know, going back and, and you kicked it around a ton on the fan. Obviously, it was unnecessary for him and not how the industry works in the fraternity of coaches to do what he did with his predecessor. Right, um, right. It, it made no sense. And and that's where every, I, I think most people took a step back. I want to segue to another guy. Well, I'll, say, he, I'll say really quick on that. No, absolutely. That was a mistake. And he's admitted it. Here's why it, it, that was narcissistic. That crossed the line. That was arrogant. That was being a TV guy, not a coach, because it didn't help anything. It didn't help your players. Didn't help your coaches. Didn't. It didn't help a, a damn thing. And 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 the Jets ended up winning that game. And with Zach Wilson, and that's one that you look at like, wow, the coach actually contributed more to that loss than the win. That's a mistake. That's a great example of going too far. Um, and I think he's got that under control. So I think that's better. And I think that's part of the learning process. I, I think you're spot on with what you said. Spot on. Yeah. Well, there's another. I mean, think think about this, Dmac. Uh, around the time that we were watching our boys play, and and uh, and you were talking about the 70 point Miami debacle. At the same time, the biggest story in all of sports, all of sports, was Coach Prime and the University of Colorado football team. Mm. They were three and zero. Right. Um, they had surprised everyone, beating TCU. We now realize TCU not nearly as good as they were a year ago. Clearly, uh, the win against Nebraska uh, decidedly mediocre. Nebraska team, though, I think Coach Rules doing a nice job there. Colorado State woulda, shoulda, coulda won that football game. And since then, other than the Arizona State game, they've been in games for the most part. But all of a sudden. They're they're four and seven, and there's a lot of people regionally and certainly nationally. They said, "Hey, he's getting his because mm. there was no humility." What's your What's your take on what's unfolded there? So that's that's another sort of. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of a yes or no. Like, all right. So I'm gonna. Uh, hey, I'll use a baseball, high school baseball comparison. So we're in the Centennial League. Uh, you were, too. You're in Arapahoe. And Arapahoe and, and, and Smoky Hill, where my kid went to school, same league, by the way, I think face some of the same baseball obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, what's it like to play Cherry Creek and Grandview and Cherokee Trail, right? All these other much bigger places when our schools, Arapahoe and Smoky, are r- relatively smaller and don't have the same access. Well, Smoky would just get their would just get their ass handed to them year after year after year until my son's class came along. And one thing you know about my son is he's a, uh, he runs, he runs hot. He, run, he runs hot. No, he's a gamer. He's gritty. He's, I mean, he absolutely is. He's all of that. So, so when he came along, they actually beat Cherry Creek and beat um, uh, Grandview. In fact, they lost to Arapahoe in the final game of his junior season. Uh, or a sophomore season, final game of his sophomore season, where if they won, they could have made the playoffs, and Arapo actually got over on us. But he went two for four and had a good day and all that sort of stuff. 
But my point is, without that attitude, and man, it is something to be at a game when your son is getting just destroyed by the other fans and all of that. And that happened to me at Cherokee Trail. It was crazy. Like, he had just gotten him going. He got thrown out of the Eagle Crest game. And, you know, it's like, you know, that's where the line just went a little bit too much because he got into it with an umpire and a kid at second base. And in the CT game, he was giving it back to the fans. And, and But they, they won those games. Well, they lost the Eagle Crest, but they, they won that series against CT, and they beat Cherry Creek, and they beat Grandview. And they lost to guys, too, because they just didn't have the depth of talent. But I'll tell you this, Drew. There's no way they even get close to competing in those games if they don't have some sort of attitude. Nowhere close. And it's funny going off to college because sometimes in college they try to tap that down. They don't really want that, and maybe they don't really need that. But they needed it at Smoky Hill for his class and what he was doing. Drew, I think a huge part was needed at CU. A huge part because they were just a doormat. So you got to do something, Drew. You got to have some sort of energy, some sort of fire, some sort of passion. The question is, when does it go too far, and when can you not rein that in? And I think that's exactly what happened. I think they used all that passion, all that excitement, all that energy, but then it just sort of dribbled on. And too many penalties, too many mistakes. I think the kids are are walking on eggshells a little bit. We saw Sean Lewis replaced as the offensive coordinator by Pat Shermer. And, Drew, I think it just, like, went a little bit, a little bit too far. So I'm not saying it's a negative completely, because without it, what do you got? But how do you rein that in to control it? That's how I perceive CU right now, and I think that's the challenge. We get it. We understand the recruiting. We understand prime, all that. But, Drew, how do you circle that all together to go in the same direction with a lot of talented kids? And, and I'm not sure about that. That probably goes to coaching. Yeah, like, you're a great recruiter. We get it. Now, how good of a coach are you? And absolutely what he's done has been monumental. You cannot discard because they've lost whatever it is, six of seven uh, or seven of eight. Uh, now, at this point, you, you can't just dismiss what took place. Um now, having said that, and I, and I was talking about this earlier it, kind of in my monologue, is that next year becomes huge. Yeah. We live more than ever in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society. And there's no question Dion uh, has gravitas with, with young people for whatever reason because he's more our age, right? Yep. And he has a magnetism to him. But – at some point, you got to win football games. You got to demonstrate that that you are in control. I, I thought, you know, moving on from Sean Lewis, and, and and there was another subtle thing in that whole circumstance of him making that move. Tim Brewster, who yes. was his most ardent supporter on that staff, his most vocal supporter about you don't realize how great Dion is, yada yada yada. You know this, Dmac, because nothing goes. You don't miss anything. He was relegated to a, a, a lesser role. He's not, uh, you know, he's an analyst as Shermer was. So you took a guy that was a position coach and you removed him from that. And I don't know how that plays. Sean Lewis is gone, obviously. Obviously, yes. And uh, Tim Brewster may be gone. You and, know, it's interesting because in college, Drew, here's 
you want to talk about crazy college rules, you can only have X amount of headsets on coaches on the sideline. So they had to make a choice when they put Shermer on a headset to take somebody off a headset, and they took Brewster off the headset. <laughs> Why there's a limit to how many people can be on the headset, Drew, I don't know. But, but well, you're right. Was, that, that is a story. Yeah, and there was a limit today. You could be on headset, and I could not. And so that's where we are, you know, with our little show here. You know, you have headset, <laughs> I have no headset. Um well, I have a better microphone. That's why you have a better microphone. Can, you have better lighting. The whole yes, bit. I, you, I, yes. you, I haven't looked at your bookshelf, but maybe you have better books um, oh, as, no doubt as well. That. How how do you view this business? Talk radio, uh, social media, intertwine it, and how much has it changed? And how how much as a as a somebody that consumes it? How much can they trust? That what they're being told has a degree of accuracy and is not just bombastic opinion. That's a great question. Um, well, everybody has um, their own master to serve, uh, and and I have always been in a very traditional um, ratings, revenue, terrestrial broadcast business, meaning the salary that I've made has been generated from commercials being sold on radio stations throughout the years. So the concept of what we're doing even right now is so different that you'd be stupid to dismiss it. For example, sports talk radio drew when we were teenagers didn't exist, did not exist. You might've had pre games or post game shows on AM radio. Well, I think we all can kind of remember that. But there weren't sports talk stations. My favorite station growing up was WBCN, 104.1 in Boston. That's why I'm, it's funny that I was on 104.3 so long. But it was 104.1 WBCN. My favorite guy was a guy named Charles Laquadera. Their location was in the Fenway, Drew, right behind Fenway Park. How about that? So for, for a summer, I parked where I would normally park for a Red Sox game to go into my internship at WBCN. Well, WBCN in a music format filtered away eventually and became 98.5 the sports sub. That is a true story. And the two guys that are on there morning show, uh, Fred Toucher and Rich, Toucher and Rich, they actually were the last morning show on the music station, WBCN, and now they're one of the most successful sports talk shows in America on 98.5 the sports sub. But it's the same station, even though it has a different frequency. My point is you've got to be aware and conscious of things that are evolving. So for me to make any final judgments about anything is dumb. Because I don't know what's going to exist, Drew, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Likely, there'll be something that we haven't even thought of. Or at least it's a glimmer and will be the main thing moving forward. So, listen, who likes doing new things? Nobody. But I think if you want to be in this business, you better keep an open mind to it. No doubt about it. And I think there'll always be room for terrestrial radio. I do. I don't think that's going away. It just might be a little bit different and maybe impactful in a different sort of way. But at the end of the day, terrestrial radio, Drew, at the end of the day, is still dependent on people getting in their cars and driving around. It is. And that's not changing. So I think there'll always be room for it. But people are going to have more and more choices, as we're proving here today, moving forward in terms of content. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I did a, a gig in, as an intern in college in, in Boston at, uh, at Bullfinch Place, Channel 7 
in, okay. uh, in, in with John, Were you with, were you with John Dennis? John Dennis was there. He was the lead anchor. How about yep. that, huh? Okay. Yeah. Okay. There yeah. you go. A, a lifetime ago. Yeah. Wow. You know? I didn't know that. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 19, uh, I think I was up there the summer in 1984. Where Anyhow. did you live? Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, one of my high school football teammates was a wrestler at Boston University. He had a beautiful apartment and uh, I stayed I stayed at his place. Well, that's, right, that's, right on, right on Com Avenue. It's unbelievable. That's less than a mile from where my radios of WBCN was. It's right there yeah. in the Fenway. It's right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah, it's awesome. right there on Com Avenue. Love Boston. Boston's Boston's the best. Yeah. Um, how much? Oh, how do I phrase this? When, when you're in a press conference and you've become notorious. And I don't mean that in a bad way for asking the question that maybe many would like to ask and don't have the chutzpah to ask. Um, has that is that your thing or is it just like, hey, this needs to be asked. Nobody else is asking. I'm always going to ask it. Does it just work out that way? Well, or do you for- go into it and go, you know what, I'm going to see if I can poke the bear a little bit. Well, I'll, I'll admit I've poked the bear for sure, like at Super Bowl press conferences with Roger Goodell. Because in those press conferences, you really can't listen to his answer. There's no back and forth. And I really don't like that. That's just the nature of that format. So you really got to think of your question way ahead of time. And you got to get lucky even to ask, be able to ask a question there. So that's kind of a different style. So there's no doubt when I ask him about, is there any condition that you would be fired? Would you ever have your son play uh, football if you were to have a son? He's got two daughters. And I said, would you uh, be marijuana tested yourself? It's, there's no doubt with all of those. I had thought about that ahead of time to poke the bear a little bit and got a lot of attention because of it. However, that's not my primary motive, not in most things that I cover. The things, um, the great Rick Riley. Are you friends with Rick at all? Are you friends uh, with Rick I, I, I've known Rick for a long, long time. Okay. I have not seen Rick in forever. Yeah, he, he, he he's, he's, I tell you what, he is a brilliant writer, whether you like his stuff or not or Oh. Well, like not necessarily uh, all of his takes, but Rick Rick is a brilliant writer. The, I, back, I, of sport, the back of Sports Illustrated for oh, that period dude, of time, are you that me? was the first thing you went to, at least me for too. me. Me too. Same thing. Just flip right back there. So Rick was more, uh, this is a long time ago when he actually was writing on a more regular basis, and he was at some of the Broncos stuff. And I got to know Rick and and have great chats with them. And I'm not as friendly with him as, a lot of other broadcasters in Colorado are, but I was around him enough to be able to have conversations. And one of the great um, things he told me is whenever you're asking a question or interview somebody and they say something, one of the greatest follow-ups you can ever ask is, oh, do you have an example? Like, or for instance, or did that happen? Something like that. You know, oh, do you have an example of that? Like, what a great follow-up question to go deeper into something more interesting. So even last night, Sean Payton said, you know, we're in a rut or a groove. So I had another question in mind, but because I was listening to what he was saying, I've responded to him, well, do you think you're in a groove? You know, because you've won four in a row. And I got a great answer where he goes, well, listen, we've won four in a row, but I'm not grooving yet. Great answer. Meaning, even though we're winning, I don't feel like we're playing the best to our capabilities and there's more to go. But he said it in kind of a funny, interesting sort of way. 
So that piece of advice that Rick gave me was great. Also, Rick is a big fan of less is more. So you see a guy like Bill Simmons that would write the uh, the Iliad for his sports stories, and Rick's column in the back page was what, 800 words? Yeah. Seriously, like something like that. And Rick's contention was it's harder to be more concise and be effective with your words rather than go on and on and on. So I try to do that too. Every question I ask you, I try. I try my best to be as concise as possible and just get right to the point. So I do ask what I would call presumptive questions. I don't have to lay out the whole story for you. I'm talking to you. You know what the story is. So I'm going to presume certain things before I ask you the question. I'm not going to lay it out. I'm not going to do a talk show question to ask you a question. So I try to be concise, direct. I try to listen and ask follow-ups on things that I'm hearing. And really, I don't think there's anything crazy about that. I just think that's the most obvious thing to do. Because, Drew, almost every single person at a press conference knows more about whatever that sport is than me. Almost all of them. So I don't try to think. I don't try to be better or smarter than those people. I just try to ask what a fan would think, and I try to stay focused on the story more the X's and O's. Yeah. Listen, um, I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to do this again. Hopefully we do this on a regular basis. It's been Anytime. a blast. Anytime. I know you, 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 got, you got things to do. Um, I got out of uh, sports talk radio. is probably uh, – twofold in nature. One of the things that frustrated me was, um, and you and I have talked about this before, it was so Bronco-centric 365 days a year at the fan. I'm going to be yeah. honest about it. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately that's hurt them of late. It really, you know, it has. But that's that's an aside. I, I felt it mind-numbing to talk about only one subject. And I understand, I've been here almost 40 years. I understand yeah. how important the Broncos are to the culture of this city, this region. I get that. Uh, they'll always be number one. Always, always, always will be number one. Yeah, Completely understand it. It's not a jealousy thing. I've covered them before. Um, how often, though, in your career, day after day, doing a great job of filling the airwaves and afternoon drive primarily in your career. Did you go, I really don't give a shit about this topic. I'm going, I'm driving in, I've done my homework, but Lord have mercy. I could care less. I'm it, this, this does nothing for me. How often has that happened? And is that the great challenge on a day-to-day -day basis to try yeah. to be um, compelling, to try to be uh, interesting? And how much of, uh, of what you're doing is contrived at times? It's a great question, and uh, I'll answer with another little story. So I got to Syracuse, and the college radio station I was working at was a music station, a top 40 station that also did some sports. And they played top 40 music. I'm not a top 40 guy. I'm a rock guy. I've been in rock radio basically my entire career, and that's what I listened to growing up. I mentioned WBCN. It was a rock station, not a top 40 station. But here I am, Drew, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm introducing Madonna and Michael Jackson and, you know, Def Leppard and the hair bands that I weren't, weren't really into. I was into, like, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. You and Mark uh, Stout, man. You and Stouter. Yeah, well, Stouter was into the top 40 stuff, man. Yeah. He's, he was into that stuff way more than I was. But I, yeah. I was into the harder rock sort of stuff. 
but here I am on at three o'clock in the morning on a college radio station because I want to be on the radio introducing Madonna and, and, and George Michael. And I, I learned at a very young age. And I was 18 when, when that started. Um, there's a difference between um, a hobby and a profession. And that's not to denigrate anybody who gets frustrated. I understand how you feel. But I realized very, very early on, am I going to do this as a profession or is it just a hobby for me? So to, to answer your question, I don't mean to sound conceited about it, but how many times have I ever been like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to talk about this again? Actually drew zero because I understand what I'm doing in the first place. I understand it's a job and I understand what I need to do because my job and me doing a good job at my job. And I am a primarily my primary job is a talk show host. OK, I don't. That is what I am. That is that's my essence. And as a professional guy that does that as my main thing, my main thing. And I would make the argument with all with all respect, your main thing is an amazing play by play guy. So I think your main thing is different than my main thing. Absolutely. I wouldn't take the play by play stuff as seriously as you would. I guarantee you I wouldn't. You have more of a control of that as your art form. Talk radio is my art form. So I don't get frustrated by the constraints of the business I've chosen to be in. I try to excel and do my best in it. That's why I could, Drew, I'm not joking about it. I am not joking. I could take one topic and talk about it for nine straight hours. No problem. In fact, Case Keenum was selected in free agency as the Broncos quarterback. I did a talk show from 11 11 p.m. till 6 a.m., seven straight hours on one topic in the overnight. I did that, and I had no problems doing it. It was actually kind of easy. So it's, it's a mindset about what you're doing in your life and your profession. So I would advise anybody, if this, just, if this doesn't feel right and you don't like it or you're uncomfortable with it one way or the other, then get out of that business. Seriously, it's not for you. Now, that doesn't mean you have to talk about one thing, but if the direction of the station and the company, Drew, is we're going to focus on this, this is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it. Well, okay. That's like me introducing Madonna and George Michael, who are they're, they're okay records. They're not my you know personal choice, but okay. If that's my job, that's what I'm going to do. I know that's a long answer to that question, but no, I take but that actually, I take that very personally. Yeah. And um, but that being said, to just be a one-trick pony is ridiculous. I, I I take it upon myself to learn as much as I can about everything our listeners want to hear, and that's another important thing. It's not about me. It's about whoever's listening or, in your case, on TV, watching. They are more important than you. And as soon as you think you're more important than them, you're probably toast. Yeah, that's a fascinating answer, and I would uh, uh, agree with you. And and what your focus is, and you're right, I view myself first and foremost as as a play-by-play guy. I have uh, said on so many occasions that – Ultimately, we it's a privilege to come into people's homes each night. It's not they're coming. Not if I can be a nice accompaniment. Wonderful. They're tuning in to watch the Rockies play the Pirates that night or the Rockies play right. the Dodgers. That's, that's right. That's right. And, and for and for you, it's a, it's a little bit different, but it's a privilege for people to turn on whatever radio station now altitude and listen to you. But you you're the one that's compelling. I want to hear you as if I'm listening, right? As opposed to Billy Bob in Arvada, with all due respect to, to Billy Bob, they're instruments to the show. But I loved your answer. 
Because you know, let me let me let me relate it to yeah. you too, because I know yeah. I know you've got this. I bet you anything, because the Rockies have struggled of late, and they had their worst record-wise season just this past yeah. season. 100%. I guarantee you hear from people all the time. Oh my God, Drew, how do you do it? How do you do those games? Blah 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 blah. And my my bet is, well, yes, it's frustrating for the team to lose. My bet is you do it fine. Like it's a game. It's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm doing a game tonight. So that's right. my that's my guess. And and you might not say that to people. You may say, oh yeah, well you know, because you're trying to be empathetic to them. Like if somebody says, oh my God, the Broncos. You talk about the Broncos. I mean, I can tell from their tone. Oh yeah, you know. Oh boy, you know. You you can respond to it. But I bet you dollars to donuts, you don't have a problem with it at all, no matter no. what the record is. It's a great analogy, DMAC, to what to what you do. And and obviously I've done not as long as you have at different parts of my career, I've done talk radio. And I did feel the constraints at different times. It also was difficult for me because I can't, for obvious reasons, just come out and rip what the Rockies were doing. So I had my own, you know, personal constraints there. But at the end of the day, the way I answer uh, the question that you posed, and I do get it quite a bit from people who, uh, you know, are trying to be sympathetic. I have a great gig, great in right. capital letters. Right. I am so privileged right. to do what I do. I know you feel that way also. Only twenty nine other, what? only twenty nine other people in, in local broadcasting have it. That's it. Right. Twenty nine others. And let's simplify it even more. We ain't digging ditches. Uh, damn right. right. Damn we right. We ain't Drew. digging ditches. Damn right. Hey, that's a great place to uh, to push pause, not period, on our uh, on our conversation. And now the difficult part is yeah. going to occur because yeah. when I when don't I erase it, in, do not when, erase when, what yeah. we just did. When I push end <laughs> recording, if this somehow ends up in Marky's hands, do who produces this whole thing, do not erase it. I know. <laughs> Look, you. You repped Webster. Your yes. place is lit better. You have a real microphone. You know, I'm in like the 1700s, but that's all right. We, we're going to move forward. All right. Hey, Drew, I love this. Anytime. Go locks. And, um, and, and man, this has been a blast. Anytime you want. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do it soon, man. Hey, uh, on to your next gig. Continued success. I'm really uh, on a professional level, personal level. I'm really happy for you. I'm, I'm so glad that tumultuous uh, period lasted like a nanosecond. Yeah, me too. Me too. I agree. Be good. All right, Drew. Big thanks to D-Mac. Always fun to uh, to chop it up with him. And uh, we'll do it again down the road, not too distant future as well. Um, if you missed the uh, Thanksgiving halftime show of the Cowboys game, here's a little snippet of what you missed. The legendary Dolly Parton, forever young. She can still belt it out. It's great. It's awesome. That was fun. Dolly Parton. What's first song you think of? First song you think of with Dolly Parton? I think for me, some of her collaborative work with Kenny Rogers. But I, I think of one of the songs she sang during halftime. Nine to five. Who else was in that movie? Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, right? I saw it not too long ago. I'm flipping around the channels. And Nine to Five was on, and um, you know, I, 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 I like watch for like 20 minutes. It was funny.
good stuff. All right, we'll continue on in football, and uh, if there's some major signings to talk about in baseball, we'll get to that uh, in a week as well. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, uh, and uh, big shout-out to my man Marky for handling, uh, handling all the engineering aspects of the show. We'll chat again in seven days. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Continue to enjoy the uh, holiday season. Stay safe. Stay well, everybody.